welcome to season three, episode three. Uh, we got Winston here from, did I hear it correctly? You're in Nashville now? I'm in Nashville. Yep. All right. Just originally, north of Nashville. Originally, originally from, from New Orleans. New Orleans, which are two areas. I've been in Nashville. Me and Dan have both been in Nashville. Bunch of fun. Uh, New Orleans, I've never been, but I've heard it's a big party. It is. It is. A huge party. And the music there is, is kind of what I want to see. Yep. The music's good. The, the food is phenomenal. The yeah. people are good people, but it's just a, it's just dirty. <laughs> I, that's, that's what I've heard. Needs more sweet sweepers. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I always start off the same show with a little background about you, and I'm sure we're going to touch on the move from New Orleans to Nashville. Um, so before we jump into the show and find out more about you, can you give me and the, the people listening kind of a background of who was Winston before real estate? Okay. So I'm going to go through this real quick because if I don't, it'll take more than an hour to do it. I don't think we have that long. Um, so I was I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana. I was born into a, a poor family. My dad had just got out of Vietnam and, you know, he came back with certain issues that he's dealt with his whole life from that right there. And, you know, we just lived our whole life poor, lived in an abusive home and abusive to you know, it was abusive to those standards. It's really abusive to today's. But, you know, getting a butt whipping was just part of your daily activities. And at 17, I decided I was going to to move out of my parents' house and make my own way. And I graduated high school not being able to read. So I didn't learn to read till I was 30 years old. But really? I, I, I went to work for a local hotel in New Orleans. And I went to work in their accounting department and did phenomenal. From 18 to, to 21, I had been promoted from general storeroom to accounts receivables, accounts payable, inventory control, chief accounting clerk, all the way to the position of assistant to the controller, which would be third in line in that office. And it was a it was a huge accomplishment. And I'm young and I'm dumb and I don't understand that things are, are right or wrong. And I got upset one day and quit and didn't know what I was going to do. So I made a decision that I would just do what my dad did. I would join the, the local 903 out of Gulf. It was that, that was in Gulfport, Mississippi there. So I was going to join that local and I was going to join the electrical company. And I couldn't start until September. And I didn't want to not do anything. So I answered an ad in Nashville, Tennessee or in Gallatin, Tennessee. And I came up here and I ran the office for a construction company in 1990. And once I got to Nashville, I just made a decision pretty quick that I wasn't going back home. And I worked for this guy for about a year. And then I went to work for another company that was doing facilities management for restaurants. That was in 1991. And that did not exist. I mean, now every restaurant around is, is handled by facilities companies. But that didn't exist. And he was building it. And about six months into me working for him, he died. Now, my wife and I, we had nothing. So I grew up poor. I was still poor. We were living in a trailer up in Westmoreland, Tennessee, lived there for two years with no running water. Half the windows had plywood over them or plastic over the plywood because the windows were broken. The floors were so rotted out that the dog would just stick his head up to the floor and look at you while he was watching TV. I mean, that's where I was. So Dang. after working with this guy and he died, well, nobody understood the concept as to what was going on. And I stayed there two more months and I come home from work one day. I hadn't gotten paid. And my wife 
got our car repossessed. We were already behind on a, on a note to, before I lost it, before he died. And um, so she told me, she said, you got to do something different. So I made that decision that I would go ahead and quit. So I went in on Friday and I, or that, that Tuesday. And I told him, I said, look, I'm going to, I'm going to leave on Friday. And on Friday, they just shut the whole company down. And I went home, had no idea what I was going to do. I had a guy from Hardy's restaurant that I had never met. I had done collections with him. We had talked about accounts receivables. We had talked about just business stuff, but face to face, we had never met. And he called me up that Friday night and he said, Hey, Winston, I hear you left the office. I said, yeah. He said, what you going to do? I said, I don't know. He said, why don't you start a maintenance company? I said, a maintenance company. I do accounting. I don't, I don't really know anything about maintenance. And he said, can you show up? I said, yeah, I can show up. He said, that's all I want to hear. He said, we'll, we'll try it and we'll see what happens. So the next day, that Saturday morning, he called me up and he had a bun toaster in Fairview, Tennessee that he sent me on to work on. And I got there. I don't know what a bun toaster looks like in a commercial restaurant. I'm looking at it. I don't know how to turn it on. I don't know how to turn it up. I don't know nothing. So I asked the cook. I said, just show me what you're doing. Let me look at it. And he said, well, I just go here. And I turn this on here. And then I do this right here. And he says, it's not working. I said, well, seems pretty simple. So I pulled it apart. And I, I fixed it. And then, you know, it was everything that I stepped on, I could fix. And it was the same process. I don't care if it was an oven. I don't care what it was. Fryer. Show me, show me what you're doing. And they would show me what they were doing. And then I would fix the piece of equipment. Now I'm not lying to nobody because the guy that hired me knew I didn't know anything. So he's yeah. the one that's, that got me working. So I'm just floating through as best I can. So I built that company. I started in March of 1992. I built that company to 72 employees and I sold that company in 2019. Right. So well, that's the, the beginnings in there. Now I learned, I learned to read in 1998 so that was when i learned to read but all the way up into there i was 24 when i started my company 1998 i you know that's six years later no that was four years from 92 i still don't know how to read you know and i'm running a business i have no idea you, you know explain how it works i don't know how it works it just right. what it just did you know understand yeah. work your behind off and that was what i was willing to do i was willing to put in the hours i was willing to put in the time i didn't care i didn't yeah. you know i would go to work on a monday and i may not go home till wednesday and that was a very routine thing. I could work three days straight, never go to sleep, never a problem, go home, get a one day sleep. Then, um, you know, the problem with that is you end up changing wives because they don't stick around a whole lot whenever you, you're never at home. So, so I was really good at business. I'm not so good at being married, I guess. I'm on my third wife now. So <laughs> just, it's just what it is. You can, you can cry about it or we can just accept it. You know, we're all still good friends. There's no problems anywhere. It's all just what it was, it was who I was. So yeah. um, in 2006, I bought a trailer park and I didn't want to buy a trailer park, but I had an old employee that went, that worked for me and he went and got his real estate license. And he was, he was bound and determined to sell me this trailer park. And about a year after him irritating me enough and telling me how it was going to be some synergy between my company and that trailer park, because all my guys could go work at that trailer park and we could make a ton of money. I bought the trailer park. And the trailer park was a good investment. It was a phenomenal investment. Oh, yeah. I, I actually just sold that trailer park this year for 11 times what I paid for it. Wow. wow. And um, that um, it was a good venture. It was a good venture the whole time. So after I bought the trailer park, then I bought a couple of double wide trailers and I was renting those out and then I bought some other stuff. And I did really good until about 2011, 2012, probably 2011. I bought a um I bought three trailer parks up in Russellville, Kentucky. 
And I think that might be the meth capital of the world. I'm not real sure. But you could you could rent these people a trailer and they would do five thousand dollars worth of damage to that trailer in less than two weeks. And mm-hmm. then you would just rinse and repeat. So I held that trailer for almost three years. And then one Saturday I got a call about something. I just told my wife, I said, that trailer park is gone. And I auctioned all three of them off 30 days later. I took whatever I could get for them. I didn't want any money on them. And then I took that money. Or I, I lost all of the money that I had put in about eight thousand a month of expenses month over month over month with them. But I got all the money I paid for them back. So I lost a lot of money, but it was some good experience. And then after yeah. that, in, in that December of, of 2013, I had a guy come sell Affleck insurance to my employees. And while I was here, we were talking and he said, hey, are you part of Rich Dad Education? And I said, what's Rich Dad Education? He said, well, you read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad. I said, no. He said, I'm going to go buy that book and I'll bring it to you. I said, I don't need you to buy me the book. I'll get it. He said, no. He said, I really want you to read it. I said, I'll get it. He said, you going to get it today? I said, yeah, I don't know this guy at all. I've never met him. First time meeting. I said, yeah, I'll go get it. He said, I'm gonna call you tomorrow. He did. He called me the next day and asked me if I went and got the book. And I did. And I read that book in, you know, like two days I was through with it. And then I went and bought another book and another book and another book and another book. And then, you know, on this or January the 3rd, when I came back to work in 2014, I was Googling some stuff and trying to find some stuff on Robert Kiyosaki. And I, and I found they were doing a rich dad education class in Tampa, Florida. So I told my wife, I said, I'm flying down there. So I got on a plane. I flew down there for the class. And, you know, about three hours into it, you realize this is a huge, huge sales presentation. They fixing to they fixing to rip you for some good money. Yeah. And, but I was listening to them. I said, you know, I just lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. If I spend $35,000, $40,000 on their program, it's worth the investment if I don't make that same mistake. Mm-hmm. So I signed up. I signed up for their program and. They let me do eight classes. It was 35000 I think, for eight classes. And I was able to do each one of them three times. And I spent the next two years, every single month, I would fly wherever they were doing the class. And I would do a three-day class with them every month for, three, for two years. And then in 2016, I was inducted to the Rich Dad Hall of Fame. Um, it was Elite Legacy at that time. They had taken over Rich Dad Company. They had bought it, bought it out or rented it for so long. They don't have any more. But... You know, that was a, a good thing. And then we got to go to the classes for free after that. I thought we could attend with, with, the, with that award. We could attend all our classes for free. And we just continued to do it. And got some, some great education through that right there. And that taught me how to do what I do correctly. I mean, yeah. I'm, I've never, you know, obviously I, I'm not a college guy. I really didn't pay attention in high school. I never saw the value in education. And for me, looking at public education today, a lot of it, I don't see the value in a lot of it. You know, but education is king. I mean, whenever you really step into something like this right here, knowing what you do, knowing how to do it, knowing why you do it, knowing how to run the numbers, that is huge. And so many people don't know how to do it. And I listen to podcasts after podcasts after podcasts of people to tell people what they can do or what they could do, but they never tell them how to do it. They never tell them, hey, step by step, this is what you can do. So that's why I started my pod, my podcast, and that's why we started the YouTube videos and different things like that right there. We're just trying to to help people. It's been kind of cool. We have a, we've had a lot of people that send me emails, and I'm I'm trying not to answer their emails. I'm trying to email them back and say, "Hey, just call me. Here's my phone number. Call me and let's talk." And right now, I'm getting about ten calls a day, and they average about a half hour a call. So I'm spending like five hours of my daily, daily yeah. my day on phone calls. I, I told my wife the other day, I said, I probably have to do something different. I don't really know how to do it yet, but we got, you know, this is going to grow into something more because we, we haven't been doing it that long for yeah. it to do what it's done. But 
that's you know a rundown of my story and and what we do so we do we do single family housing so we buy single family houses we might fix them up and rent them out i'm not a fix or flip guy i don't sell what i buy we hold it we buy everything to hold we do single family we do multifamily we do warehousing we do commercial we do airbnb so we do a little bit of everything i do a lot of new construction so i have all my licenses for construction so we built our own houses. We just finished a, um, a five duplexes we did. We bought an apartment complex, stripped it all the way down to the dirt, and rehabbed the whole thing, about a $2.9 million rehab on it. And, I mean, so we, we do a lot of that stuff ourselves, and we hold it. I do a lot of land development. I'll buy one piece of land, two pieces of land, five pieces of land, and then I work together to put it put a project in there. It's a bunch of pieces of land. I may try and just make it one track and do it for an apartment complex. I did that. I got a 60 unit, 60 unit apartment complex that we have that is ready to pull out of the ground now that, that has had the fire marshal sign off it off on it. And we're ready to roll with that right there. So nice. we do a little bit of everything. Yeah. Everything but restaurants from what I've read and learned about you. Well, when I sold the company, so when I sold the company, we were servicing 700 restaurants in Nashville. I had 72 employees and it it's tiresome to have 72 employees. And my, my generation, when I started, man, we worked, we worked and we worked and everybody, it'd be one o'clock in the morning, we'd be working and there might be four of us out there working and they would all call and they would show up on whatever job site you was on. And they're like, I'm not going home till you go home. And, and that was the camaraderie we had. Nowadays, they will leave you at that, <laughs> the same job site they're on. They will walk off of it, never tell you bye and just leave you hanging. And, and that was just, that didn't work well with me. It didn't fit with me. I was, I'm more, we take care of each other. We got a team and we're, you know, we're family. So yeah. when I sold that company, they asked me, do you want to stay on? And I said, no, I said, I've been doing real estate. Me and my wife have done real estate together for the last 10 years. And that's all her and I have ever done together. Really. She never, she's never been involved in my business, just the real estate side. So the company ran without me. So there was no reason for me to stay on at all yeah and, and that's what we did we sold it and never looked back no regrets yeah. none yeah and i mean with everything you had going on in the real estate side i'm sure you didn't need the restaurant business and in, in all of the problems that came with it obviously the financials would be nice to have but um like what you're doing it sounds like investing in real estate is a little bit more hands-off which allows you to get more into that educational <laughs> piece which it sounds like you're you're kind of focusing on with your social media at least Yes, we are. Um, we so hands off. We're I'm involved in a lot of stuff, but I got people that do it for me. You know, we just have a few minute conversation here, a few minute conversation there. This past year, we bought two neighborhoods. One neighborhood had 41 houses in it. Then we bought a neighborhood with 58 houses in it. The the neighborhood with 41 houses in it was built in 2013, so it's in it's fairly new still. The other neighborhood yeah. was built in 2006, so there's a lot of deferred maintenance that wasn't done on that neighborhood. So we'll probably put a I don't know, $700,000 in that neighborhood, fixing it up and getting it where it needs to be. But, you know, that's just part of it. I won't physically be doing any of that work and, you know, nor will I, I be managing it for the most part. So yeah, you're correct on that right there. Somebody else will do it. And, you know, if, if my wife and I left and didn't come back for a year, the company would still be running just like it was today. Yeah. And I think, um, it's a really cool position for you to be in hearing from your backstory and where you came from and where you started to be where you are now. First off, congratulations, because that mm -hmm. is not a lot of people get to that place. Um, but what 
what I think you articulated really well was you didn't just jump into real estate and now you're hands off and you're sitting back going on vacations. There was years and years of hard work put into that. Uh, and to become a good real estate investor, everybody that I've listened to, because my journey's not done yet. I'm, I'm still in the infancy stage. Um, but with the years that you put in, you've now created the system to where you can be, uh, I guess, less boots on the ground and more planning and oversight. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then that obviously topples into which, which I really like And when Dan mentioned, he found you on, on social media. I went through like your Instagram page and I was scrolling through all of your videos. I felt like I wanted to like on them. I didn't want to <laughs> like every single video, but you were pulling out, uh, you had one where uh, you were talking about how you, you bought a subdivision and it was so normal for you. But I'm thinking like, okay, all the people that want to get into real estate to think of buying a subdivision seems like alien to them. But then you, the next video, you pulled out the blueprints of how you, you uh, were working on basically runoffs and in the, the plane of the subdivision mm-hmm. and all the planning that goes into just getting the land ready for people mm-hmm. to buy on. Um, and I did have a question on that one. Do you get those lots? You buy all those acres. Do you then parcel them off to other builders or do you have a builder in site or in house that you work with? No, we do everything ourselves. Okay. So now I don't have construction crews. I will have one guy that will manage that project for me and he just runs the project, but we use subcontractors for everything. So anything that you're, that I'm doing, you can duplicate that right there. You gotta, you run the, you run the, the general contractor. I'm a general contractor myself but you can run that general contractor and, and get everything you want. I mean, you can do everything. Nobody can't not, they, they can do it. Anyone can do it. Yeah. Did you, was there any part in your career where you were uh, boots on the ground, swinging a hammer in that, that phase of things? My, my, you- I was, I was boots on the ground swinging a hammer. I think last year would be probably the first year that I wasn't working in the field most of the time. Okay, and you how know, many? When, how long was that period from? That was from 1992. Okay. I mean, when I say when I say I would go to work, and I didn't come home for two three days, I didn't come home. I didn't go to sleep. I worked 24 hours a day. I didn't take off, not a single day for nine years. I never took off. I never took a vacation for nine years. I never. All I did was work. I mean, once I realized, I had one goal when I started my company. I said, man, if I can just, if I can just bill a hundred dollars a day. I'm better than where I am. I mean, that's mm-hmm. pretty sad. If I can just do hundred dollars, I'm happy. But from March of 1992 to December of 1992, I built out $382,000. And once I saw, Hey, I don't have to be this poor kid over here. I don't have to be that way. All I got to do is be willing to, to sacrifice enough time to make it happen. And, and I'm not, that's not right for everybody. There's, I know a lot of people, they're not giving it up. They're not giving up their weekends for it. They're not giving up their nights. They're not giving up their holidays, you know, and, and everybody's different. There's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. You know, what is, what your answer is for you is different than what my answer is for me. What you're willing to do is different than what I'm willing to do. And, and that's what makes us all so unique. And, and I'll post some videos and people will really give me some hate on them because they say, you know, I would never do that. I understand. I mean, everybody's not the same. I mean, no, maybe you yeah. wouldn't. No, and it's, it's true. I mean, uh, I remember working in a, I was customer service. This was three or four years removed out of college. Um, I had my son, he was like just born and I switched to do customer service. Cause I had 
uh, relatively an eight hour shift. So nine to five, eight to four kind of thing. Um, but I, I talked to one guy, a cube mate over, he was, I don't know, 10 years older than me, had three kids and, uh, I couldn't figure out why he enjoyed being there so much. Cause I'm going stir crazy. I'm in a cubicle staring at a screen with the headset in my ear. I'm stir crazy. I bought a Rubik's cube just to get my mind off of work <laughs> while I'm sitting in my cubicle. And I'm asking him like, so how do you find enjoyment here? And he's like, well, to be honest, it's not so much enjoyment here. It's enjoyment at home. I can come in, I punch in, I punch out, I leave work at work. I go home. My time is with my family on the weekends, my family at night. We go on vacations. This pays enough to what I want to do. And for me, I'm a young gun. Like, I'm like, no, there's more to life. You can do more. He didn't want it. He wanted the simple work life, the bill, and then go and spend his time at home. I was in the other mindset. I wanted to work as hard as I could now so that later on in life, the company that I built can take over and run it. I'm still um, in that in that. Uh, everyday kind of system, but uh, it's getting better and better. The more time and effort you put into it, just like you're saying, just work hard for those. You do it now. Year. You don't have to do it your whole life. You just had to do it now. I mean, maybe you got to do it for 10 years. I mean, I remember it yep. was 2003. I had a, my son was born in 2000. So he was three years old. And I, I was doing an open remodel in a hospital in Tucson, Arizona. So I, I was there for like six months. I hadn't been home. So I come home, my wife had booked a plan to go to um, Florida. So we went to Cocoa Beach, Florida. We, I got home. I didn't come into my office. I got on a plane. We flew to Cocoa Beach, Florida. And we got, unpacked all our stuff. Her and I went, and my son went out to dinner. And we sit at dinner and my phone rings. And it's one of my employees. And he calls me up and he said, hey, Winston, he said, we got a problem. I said, what's the problem? He starts naming off some problems with some jobs. Well, I haven't been here, but somebody else was running my company the whole time I was going. That never worked for me as for that right there. He said, I'm going to tell you right now, man, you can come home right now and fix this problem because you're the only one that can fix it or you're going to lose your company. And you know what? That was the most awesome thing in the world for him to call and tell me that right there. And, and his words were great because that got me off my behind. I told my wife, I said, we done it. Take me to the airport. And we went to the airport. I got on a plane and I flew home and she enjoyed her week's vacation with my son. And that was what that's just what it was. And, and that's what it had to be to do it. And my, and my employee was right. We were in enough trouble that I didn't know anything about any of it, that, that it needed immediate attention. Yeah. So it, it does come with a lot of sacrifice. It does. And, and some people have the lifestyle or choose a lifestyle to do that. Some don't want the inconvenience. Um, I know for me, it was a big thing just to accept people. People want different things. Uh, but what I like about you and what I'm trying to do with this podcast as well is those fringe people that, that do want something else that do want to invest and put in extra work. It's a daunting task. I know I'm imagining from when you were younger, getting into this, it didn't seem, did you think you'd be in the position you are now when you started? At no, I, 17 $100 on a day. That's what I was looking for. Was, yeah. the, the goal was small. Now yeah. I can tell you, I'm a very goal oriented guy. So my goal started changing and, then I realized that the more I wrote them down, the more I, I acted on them. And the more I did that, my wife and I set goals every year and we meet about our goals and they're, they're all the way out to I'm 70 years old. I got my goals planned and we meet on a weekly basis. Every Wednesday morning, we meet at nine o'clock right here in this office right here. And, um, and we talk about where we are for what we got to achieve this year to make our goals happen for 2023. And if we're off track, we say, okay, we're going to do to get back on track. 
And that makes us, I mean, we far achieve our goals every single time. Yeah. Now I have a sick, I have a sickness with this stuff because I, I, I could really quit and enjoy life and have an amazing life if I chose to, but I don't, I don't know anything else. I don't know how to go have fun. I don't know how to fish. I don't know how to hunt. I don't know how to golf. I know how to work. And, and that is where my enjoyment comes from. And I love building stuff. And I love, I, I guess I'm, I'm still, I'm 54 years old and I'm looking at, I don't want to go back to where I, where I was when I was 20. You know, I'm going to go back to that old trailer. Not that it would ever happen, but I'm, I'm still pushing and I still, I keep us, I keep us broke all the time. I mean, we got $50 million in assets and we're broke all the time because what I do, I go buy $10 more million worth of assets. And then we got to, we got to put a million dollars into fixing and we got to do this and everything we make on cash flow goes into it. And then the minute we we start breathing good air again, I do the same thing again, but that's just my nature. It's how I've lived my whole entire life. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, um, I don't want to say a mental retirement. You're, you're at the point where you could retire if you so choose to, but it doesn't sound like that would be more enjoyable than what you're doing. No, like no. In my wife and I work together. Right now. Yeah, we work together 24-7. So, and that, you know, my wife's my best friend and, you know, we, we spend all our time together and we, we enjoy it. We're doing the same thing. We push in the same direction. We always, we always move in that way. Yeah, it does help having a partner in crime doing it and understanding where your goals are, which is awesome that you guys meet once a week to talk about goals. It probably makes the sacrifices a lot easier to to digest from both of you, like both things you guys need to sacrifice. Obviously, you're on the same path with your goal, knowing that the sacrifices need to happen to get there. Yeah, and her, I'm going to tell you, her sacrifice right now is way more than mine is. You know, we're, we're switching accounting systems and changing the way we're doing a lot of stuff. I mean, she has been miserable for 12 months dealing with this stuff, trying to make it happen. And and it's good. It's all coming to a head now where it's all coming together. But it's been excruciating for her. And I'm just sitting here saying, I'm ready to go home. She's like, I can't go home right now. <laughs> but we're, we're, we do push in the same direction. That's cool. That's cool. And um, I, I forgot to mention this one. Another congratulations. You were talking about the start of your career, how you'd go in and you'd fight, you'd fix these equipment whatever equipment it is that went down um all without youtube university that's no there was that's impressive uh -uh. Uh -uh. you know we i worked off of a pager i didn't get my first telephone until 1998 so i worked off of a pager somebody would page me i got to find a gas station use a payphone to call and find out what service call i got it was it was a whole different world and it was funny because we were still using that pager in like 2015 for all of our service calls was coming in through a pager still. And I remember I went in one of my guys' office and the pager went off and I said, we're still using the pager. He said, yeah. I said, why don't you switch it to a phone? And he did, he switched it to a phone, but it was just funny because you just, you get in the habit of something. You just keep on repeating and keep on repeating it. You're going to make yeah. me have to edit this and put disclaimers about what a payphone is and what a pager is. <laughs> I think the last time I interacted with a pager was in uh, eighth grade or freshman year of high school, probably around that same time, 98. 1997, yep. 98 time. That's funny. But mine I was, was just to call my mom because she's a nurse. So if I needed to get a hold of her on the floor, I'd call the pager. But I didn't mm -hmm. know what I was calling. She just said, call the number. I'm not going to answer, but I'll call you back. And I'm like, okay, got it. That's all I knew about a pager at that point. <laughs> I was yep. born in 90. So I'm I'm a little younger than, oh my than everybody here. I was doing a video on talking about some of this stuff and talking about answering or looking at the paper for before I came to Tennessee. 
And when I did it, when I said it, I said the paper was a little white thing that had writing all in it and stuff <laughs> where we used to get out. It was kind of like Google, but a lot harder. You right. Know? A lot but slower. Kind of kind of funny. We were we were in Chicago the other day and walking through the airport and they had a payphone still in the airport. Airport. And I was like, wow, still got one. Yeah. I don't know if they'll ever leave just for the, the pincher people needing it. Yep. Uh, there'll be one around in every city. Just one. Yep. Yep. Um yeah, but it, it as you were telling me the story about going in and fixing these equipment, like it nowadays people think like, oh yeah, I've got my phone. I'll go on YouTube, look up the model, or look up the manual because every manual for everything is online at this point. You were going into this blind. You didn't have a computer in your pocket where you could look up videos, a little ten-minute video of somebody fixing Fiction. the equipment and then repeating it. The guys I had, whenever, whenever, whenever I sold it, they did a lot of stuff through YouTube. I mean, they would look everything up on YouTube to be able to fix it. Yeah. So I got, so I got something. We got time for a quick, quick oh, rundown yeah. on, on some property. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was going to ask you some numbers on some things, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's talk about something. So I, I am a guy. I like to invest infinite. So I like to try and make any deal I go into have the potential to invest infinite. So investing infinite means in the end, you got no money in the deal whatsoever and you're still making money. So I'm going to break down one of my land development deals and awesome. that'll, that'll give everybody a little rundown on how that, how that works and, and what makes it interesting. Yeah, that'd be great. So, so I bought two pieces of land and I gave about $90,000 for both pieces of land. And they had two single wide trailers on one piece of land and then a single wide trailer and a house on the other piece of land. And it was just trash. In the city I invest in right here where I live, we put a lot of money in the city because we got a lot of properties here. So anybody that's got a crappy house, I will buy that house, tear it down and build a brand new house there because that increases all my property values. Yep. So um, I bought those houses and I took and I tore every one of them down. And then I had my engineer come out and we talked about what we could do with it. And we were going to put townhomes on it. And was going to put condos on it, but I couldn't get the water. So the water company wouldn't give me the water to support a condo development or a townhome development. So I was a little bit discouraged. So I had him break it down to me in five lots. So my engineer rezoned re it. I brought it to planning and zoning with an engineer plat that had it broken down into five separate lots. And then that probably cost me $10,000 for what he did. So now I got about $100,000 in the land with my engineer. And as far as what's the time passing in this from purchase to getting into the city, planning? we're we're probably a year into it right now because we did a yep. lot of back and forth and back and forth and back and forth on it. And, you know, I don't have a lot of money in tearing the trails down because I use my own equipment. I hauled everything off myself. I mean, I just did it when I going from work, I would stop by and work a couple of hours and then go do what I do. But so we we got it rezoned for five houses Two four of the houses were one acre lots. And then the last lot in the middle kind of went back past the other lots and opened up in the back and it was six acres. Okay. So, and what was it zoned when you bought it? And what did you zone it to? It was zoned residential when we bought it and it just okay. stayed residential. Okay. But the lot, the lots were rezoned at smaller lots because we had, we had a good, get an engineering company out there for the, the smaller lots. Okay. So when we, when I did it, I said, okay, I'm going to build some houses on here. So I went in on the two outside lots on both sides and I built a single family house on each one of those lots. So we built all four of those houses at one time and I built them. They were 1170 square feet and it cost us 
about $100,000 to build the house, maybe a little bit less than $100,000. We'll use $100,000 for season numbers. Cool. So I got five lots. I got $100,000 in the lots. So I got $20,000 invested in the lots. Now I got $100,000 invested in the house. So now I got $120,000 invested on a house that rents for $1,500 a month. So the numbers are great. Yeah. So I went to the bank and I pulled the, we, we got an appraisal. They both, the, all four of those houses appraised for like 205,000. This was maybe six years ago. So they all appraised for 200,000. So I pulled all my money out and then I pulled an extra $200,000 out. So I built the houses. I got paid for building all four of the houses. I got $200,000 for that right there. Even though I wasn't even in, I wasn't even in the city when the houses was built. I was in South Pittsburgh working on an apartment complex. I bought that whole entire year. And um, so while I was there working on that, somebody else was building the houses. When the houses got done, we rented them. They rented for $1,500 a month. And I cash flowed $500 a month on each each house. So I was making $2,000 a month on, on cash flow. That's not a ton of money. That's $24,000 a year that you're making off of something that you don't have any money invested in. Those houses are now worth about $310,000. So they have appreciated that much in value. I still have no money invested in them and we still make great money. And, you know, I could pay them off at any time. I mean, but that is kind of how I do a lot of what I do. I go out and I'll take my money and I'll build house. Now, if I would have done a construction loan on those houses, I'll build those houses with cash. But if I did a construction loan, when, the, when I got my certificate of occupancy and they finalized my loan, they would not have refinanced that property for 12 months because they say they want that, that area to stabilize. They want to know that the investment is sound before they go in there and give you more money on it. But because I paid cash for the build, then I was able to do that. So, okay. and that's kind of like a 203k loan, is what you're talking with the construction loan. I don't know what it would be called because I have never done a construction loan. So, okay. I would be oh, true. You, you would, I, I don't have any idea on it. Everything I've built so far, I have always just paid cash to build it up. Okay. So, we took, we took that fifth lot in there that we didn't build on. And then in 2020, we went in and got it rezoned for five duplexes. So we went back there, we cleared the, the land off and we put five duplexes. So that's 10 rentals at $1,500 a month. The other houses are now renting at 1700 or $1,700, $1,800 now. Those start off at 1500 $1,700, $1,800. And um, so these five duplexes are, are just $1,500 a month because there's two bedroom, two bath rather than three bedroom, two bath. And we built that for a little bit over a million dollars. And now we're bringing in $15,000 a month on a rented right away. So we pulled all our money out of that and maybe another couple hundred thousand dollars out of it to get paid for working. And then we ran it and we make about $5,000 a month clear profit on that property. And it's just rinse and repeat. We don't try and reinvent the wheel every single time we do something. We try and find out what works for us. I love land development because we can make some really good money on land development. If you got it nowadays, people are paying so much money for a piece of property. And if you're more than 20%, of that piece of property, 25% of that piece of property, if you put your underground utilities in and your driveway in, if you're more than 25% of the finished value of the house, then it's hard to make money off of that house. Your numbers mm -hmm. just don't work. That's that's kind of like a magic number right there. You know, a lot of people were invested at the 1% rule. If it would, if I paid $200,000 for it, I need $2,000 a month rent. That used to work when we was at 
4% interest, mm -hmm. 5% interest, but now it's seven, 8% interest. That 1% is your break even mark. Yeah. So, so the whole world is ever moving and, and we got some videos out there where how to run numbers. If people would just look at how to run them numbers and understand that that is the most important part of everything that you do. If your numbers are right, then everything is right. You don't worry. I don't, I never go home and worry about something I'm working on because I've always, I've already considered what is my worst case scenario. If this does not work out, the worst case scenario is this. If I can accept that worst case scenario, I'm going to aim for the best case scenario and I'm going to take what I can do. I'm going to do the best I can do to do the best that I can do. But I know yeah. that the worst I can do, I can live with. So I don't, I'm not, we're not going home fighting about it. We're not worried about it. And if it don't work like we wanted it to work, we don't lose any money. You know, we, you know, yeah, we just, and we I mean, just sometimes, sometimes there are projects, like you said, you take lumps on it's a loss. We just had one where we bought and uh, we actually just closed on it last week, but there was a part in there where we had to go back and sit and, Hey, are we just going to tear the thing down and sell it, take a loss and just get out from underneath it? Or are we going to try and see this through? We ended up rebuilding a new house and we made a profit on it, but the option of getting out and just cutting the losses and moving on, um, kind of like what you did with, uh, the trailer parks down in the meth capital, the yeah, USA, you, you got to just, just bite cut the your losses out. and all of the headache you didn't experience continuing with that and the finances that it freed up. Yes, you lost money, but the money you pulled out allowed you to make money on the other yeah. side of it. So now that loss at that trailer park over there, three trailer parks I sold at the loss. That was because I didn't know how to do my due diligence. I didn't know how to break down the deal. I didn't know how to run the numbers. I didn't know how to, to, to really get out there and see my risk. Yeah. I mean, the water what bills was... at those parts were 4000 a month because they were shipping water from Missouri. Oh, oh really? I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, crazy stuff. And I mean, that might be your one thing. I was going to ask a question. If you could go back in time and talk to a new investor who's getting into that type of thing, what were some things that you missed or you wished you would have followed up on and in, in shed the light on before you'd purchased or knew about before you purchased? Does anything think... like stick out in your mind? I think up until Rich Dad Education, up until that particular point in time in my life, running the numbers was always a bad thing. I never ran the numbers. I would look at, oh, that'll work. And I know people that do that now. And I thought, stop doing that. You know, it'll work and it will work. But, you know, over the last 10 years, you could throw a dart at a dartboard and it would always make you money. Yeah. Nowadays, you can't do that. It's a little bit different field. It's a different playing game. So you yeah. can't do that right now. But but that is the biggest thing. I mean, right now, if I bought those three trailer parks right now, I don't have a doubt in my mind I could make money with them because I yeah. know how to choose renters better. I know how to I know how to do everything better than I used to know. So yeah. that. That would be the win for me. Learning how to run numbers as being one of the biggest successes that I would attribute everything to was just yeah. somebody. And I spent I'm, I'm, I spent 13 weeks with a guy coaching me on how to run numbers every single week. I mean, just, all right, let's do them again. Let's do them again. Let's do them again. And yeah. it was redundant, but I tell you what, he drilled it in my, in my head. Yeah. And I mean, when I started, <clears throat> I listened to Bigger Pockets. I'm sure you've heard the name yep, yep. Uh, that's out there. But I was, I was actually working with Dan at a different company, but as I was traveling and driving, I'd be listening to a podcast, I'd write down notes, I'd go home, and I remember multiple nights falling asleep at my computer, because all I would do is go on, I didn't have an MLS at that time, I wasn't an agent, so I'd go on Zillow, and I didn't care the house, I would just pick up a house, I'd analyze like 10 to 15 a night, just so that I could do it. Yep. And I mean, yep. I've done that, I did that for... I would say a year before I actually jumped into becoming an agent. 
And even from that period when I did it to now, I'm sure I've lost some things because I haven't done it in between. I've been so focused on working in the business than on it. Yep. Yep. We have people fly in here. I had, I had a guy fly, drive up from Georgia last week and spent the day with me and going over some properties, showing him what I do. And we do that a lot. I offer that up to a lot of different people. And I had a guy supposed to be flying in tonight, but his wife, something happened with his wife. He said, I can't come. I'm going to come next month. So he'll come down. But we bring people in and we just show them how to, how to run the numbers. We'll, and we will do that. We'll go to Zillow and we'll find something that's for sale right now. And let's run the numbers. Let's see what this does. Let's see how it runs. And, and we run it all the way around and, and dissect it down and teach them and teach them and teach them and then send them on their way. And they well, come I'm back going and down, they do the same thing. I'm going down to Nashville in March. So I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to come. See I will, we'll analyze some properties. You are more than happy to come up and we will, I'll we'll show you everything we got here, what we do, talk about it, have a good time. It'd be great. That would be awesome. That'd be awesome. Yep. Um, oh, I did have another question. Uh, when you were, um, where was it? Dan, you have to edit this part out. Can't do it. <laughs> Can I ask a question? <laughs> Yes, yeah, sir. go for okay, it. Okay, so my, my question was in regards to, I think, one of the videos that you had um, running the numbers, but not on a specific uh, business opportunity, but actually the numbers within your business, how you broke down the cost for like payroll and expenses. Like, that to was that was awesome. Like I, I'm watching this video and you're, you're saying like, I think obviously interject if I'm wrong, but you, you broke it down how you would prefer somebody work overtime obviously paying them more for per hour after the fact because their cost cost too i would i would view all right i'm gonna pay you a three three weeks vacation regardless i'm gonna pay you yep i'm gonna pay you seven paid holidays regardless i'm gonna give you time off for this right here regardless those were control costs we know we're gonna have to add that to their total payroll every single year so and that's based off of a 40 hour work week so if they work 60 hours a week you still get to use those numbers but you can distribute them over 60 hours yeah. and i would combine all that down and then i would divide it throughout the year and then the hours in the year and i always came out where for a guy to work overtime was cheaper for me to work him overtime than to hire a second person and put him in there and give him a benefit package and give him a vehicle because yeah. i had you know every employee had a van so you got a van and they got insurance and you got all the stuff you got to pay for them and you know we paid for them to go to work and we paid for them to go home so we had that travel time to both ways that we had to pay for and whenever we i much rather have somebody work work there and i do my real estate the same way so on a, on a real estate side, you know, like last year before last, we were averaging about $1,000 an hour on appreciation. So our property was appreciating at $1,000 an hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. When you know so, your numbers. Yeah. I mean, that, that, but, but that's where the, that's the secret sauce. The secret yeah. sauce is being able to understand, hey, I got appreciation, which is a huge number. You know, even, and I don't think we're going to see five, not where I live, I don't think we're going to see 5% at all. You know, and the more money that the government prints, the more that appreciation is going up because as a, as the dollar value goes down, the appreciation goes up on your property. I don't think we're going to go under 10%. Now, maybe we do, maybe we don't. But I can tell you over the last 50 years, the average was 5%. So I, I feel pretty comfortable to use 5%. I know whenever we were running 20%, I was over $1,000 an hour on appreciation. I know if I run it at 10%, I'm about $580 an hour right now on what I'm making. And so, you know, you're making 
$20,000 a week, you know, $10,000 a week off of just appreciation, or a day, I'm sorry, a day off of appreciation. And then, you know, 3.6% on depreciation. So all the money you make at your day job, if you have a day job, you can write all that crap off. Just get some rental properties. You can't write it off on a personal residence, but on rental properties, you know, as far as residential, it comes out to about 3.6% a year. And you got your cash flow, you got your appreciation, you got your depreciation. And then if you got a note on it, now you you pay the note. You don't pay the note, your tenant pays the note. So that tenant pays that note over and over and over. At the end of the year, you you paid your loan down $6,000. Well, that's $6,000 you don't know today that you owed yesterday. Or you don't know this year that you owed last year. That $6,000 is yours. You can do a cash out refi and get it. You sell that house, you're going to get it. The tenant paid that money. That's just additional rent that you don't recognize any kind of income on for tax or anything. You do a home, yeah. you, do a, you do a cash out refi, you can use that money again and again and again and again and the government don't tax you. It's just free money. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's it's awesome that you can you can get that drilled down with your numbers. Uh, but understanding when you got six employees sitting around talking and they're costing you like 35 cents a minute, 50 cents a minute, 80 cents a minute, whatever it was, and you look at it, hey man, y'all costing me like eight bucks a minute for y'all to sit there and talk. Go do something. <laughs> and yeah. it was so it was so bad that my employees would walk up to me. And they and I would be talking to several guys, and my employees. But how much does conversation cost in the company, Winston? And, and they would they would hit me with the same thing, and and that's the cool thing because we all had that same relationship. We all we all gave each other as hard a time as we possibly could. Today you got to handle it with a little more kid gloves, I suppose. Yeah, if you got the, not not at my office, but at other yeah. offices. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's depending on the guys you have around you. I mean, we don't yeah. we don't handle things with soft gloves around the job site. Yeah, I got Everybody I got to work with people that can handle that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I like to have a good time at work. I don't want to go to work and, and be mad and upset and sad. I want to go to work and hassle everybody, have everybody hassle me and, and yeah. just have a good time at work. It, it's fun. Yeah. It's not it's not bad. Yeah. And it, it makes life way easier. Oh, yeah. Work, so you had a, like work. It just feels like you're hanging with your buddies. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you had a question. Yeah, it was it was along the same lines of, of analyzing properties. You said that you got notes on those duplexes. Well, I think they were single family homes at the time. It was the lot that you tore down the double wides and put up the rentals. Yeah, we put five, we put four separate loans on that. We didn't do one loan across all of them. We did four separate loans. Yeah. And you had mentioned I could pay off the notes, but I don't. When you analyzed your property, what was your decision making into paying off the notes early or letting those ride out? Well, I don't want to pay off the notes early because I'm using the cash flow I'm getting to buy more properties and we're just continuing to buy our properties. So if I took, if I took all the money and I paid off those properties, now I don't have that much money to invest. So now I got four assets right here that I'm getting, let's say 10% appreciation on. I could take that equity from those four properties and buy eight more properties at 20% down. And now I got 12 properties that I'm getting 10% appreciation on. So I'm looking at the numbers way further than the cash flow saying, okay, I make more money on my appreciation. Than I make on the cash flow. So I, I, I like to, to just continue to, to move the needle as far as that goes and getting more, more assets. Yeah. yeah. And that's a, that's very offensive mindset. The defensive is, all right, I'm going to pay down my debt so that the house is paid off. And I, I live on the cash flow. The offensive is, yeah, I live in debt. That's fine. I'm going to keep using the money to get more properties and get more cash flow in, or in your case, more appreciation. 
Well, it doesn't matter if you got a note on it. You still get depreciation on depreciation off of it also. The, the two right. neighborhoods we bought last year, I'm going to get about $400,000 a year that I can make in a clear profit and not have to pay taxes on just from the depreciation of those two neighborhoods. Yeah. So you start looking at it from that avenue and you say, man, I need to buy something that's worth some money because I don't want to pay any taxes. And we don't pay any taxes. I haven't paid taxes in, I don't know how, 10 years. I mean, we don't pay any taxes. And we yeah. don't do that because we invest in a way that we don't pay taxes and we pay attention to the fact that giving the government our money that we make is not beneficial to us. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I've been on the train of, uh, I've hated the concept of a tax return as like the next check. I cannot stand it. Ever since college, people would get excited about the refund check. And I was like, you just lost how much interest that you could have done something with that money. And instead the government gives it back and <clears> says, thanks. Like that yeah. annoys me. I mean, their mindset, their mindset probably wouldn't be to spend it or to invest it anyways, right? If they had that money in their pocket, oh right, they're gonna, right. they're gonna buy a new TV or furniture or I don't know, whatever they're gonna be spending their money on. But they're not, they don't have that mindset to look at it. Obviously, like right. you do, I would rather have more, more money per check, like you said, rather than at the end. Yeah, of the year, and, so. and I'm not a guy. I mean. I was doing a, I was, I'm, I'm good friends with Jason Hartman and Ken McElroy and, and that group of guys over there. Yeah. And, and we're in a, we're in a, we're in a mastermind together. So it, it's George Gammon, Ken McElroy, Jason Hartman, Robert Kiyosaki shows up to all the events. He's just tagging along with Ken. And you know, it's a, it's a good event. It's a good event to, to go to and watch these guys. And, and they always give me a hard time because, you know, I was doing a podcast with Jason Hartman. He said, what you got in your garage? I said, I got nothing in my garage. He said, nah. He said, what kind of car you got in your garage? I said, I drive a service van. I said, I drive a cargo van everywhere I go. He said, you don't have a different vehicle. I said, I don't have another vehicle. I said, my wife's got a truck. I said, but heaven. He said, you don't have a Ferrari? I said, a Ferrari doesn't interest me. I said, that doesn't, you know, what am I going to do with it? You couldn't even drive it down my driveway. You know, I, I live yeah. about a, a mile off the road almost. I said, I'm, I'm not that guy. I said, I want, um, I want to appreciate, I'm not going to buy a car if I could buy two houses with that car. I said, I'm not going to do that. And, you know, that's just, that's, that's not a right or a wrong answer either. It's what's right for somebody else. I mean, I got friends that have went out and sold some property. First thing you do is go buy some Corvette, some fancy car and, you know, but you're trying to impress people that you don't even really like, you know, yeah. you're 45 years old, you're 50 years old, you need a fast car. Not really. I mean, my speed limit where I live is 40 miles an hour everywhere. So, I mean, go fast now, you're going to take it. Yeah. And I'm not, re I'm not responsible. So I'm not responsible to have a really fast vehicle. I would be getting a lot of tickets. <laughs> But then it's, a, then it's a safety feature. That's a good yeah. safety decision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I bought a crash rocket motorcycle one time from a police auction. I, I rebuilt it, put it together. And I drove it about 10 times. And I came home and I told my wife, I said, you sell that motorcycle? I said, I'm going to kill myself on that motorcycle. Because I don't care where I went. Oh, my word. It, it was ridiculous. Yeah. But, I, was on, I was on a crash rocket twice. And every time I got off, my eyes were tearing. Because yep. it, you're just in a tunnel. And it was... It was like so much fun. Your body's just like yep. shaking. But then you look down at the speedometer and you're going 80. And you're like, I was, that's like 15 feet, I feel like. Yeah. But they yep. take off. They're quick. Yep. And I know I'm not responsible. And, and know your limits. I mean, I know I'm not responsible enough to drive it. Like I'm driving it 120, 130 miles an hour. I'm like, I'm going to kill myself. Now what happens to my family? What happens to my kids? You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, on that depreciation, have you, obviously you're looking into it. Um, it's in the back of your mind and your numbers. Have you gotten to a position where you're 
27 years in, you've got six months until, I mean, it's 27 and a half is the cutoff, correct? For depreciation yeah, on a property? Yes, correct. So have residential. You, residential. Have you gone through that life cycle where now you look at, okay, it's a cash flowing property. We've worn out the depreciation. Do I sell it? Like, have you gotten to that threshold now? So, so, so let me tell you where I am on that. I, I have done that on a few houses. I haven't done on as many houses as I should do it on because I don't pay taxes. If I was paying taxes, I True. would probably look at it a little bit different. But I got some houses that I bought for $50,000 that are worth close to 400000 right now. And those houses, I'm only getting depreciation off of the $50,000 I paid for that house. Yep. I'm not getting depreciation on four hundred. dollars It would be very advantageous for me to take that property and sell it and go buy a $400,000 piece of property and be able to get the 3.6% off of the $400,000 rather than off $50,000. So that yeah. is something we pay attention to it. And I got a, I got a, um, I did a, a, um, I bought that, I bought an apartment complex in an opportunity zone. So when I sold my business, I bought an apartment complex in, in an opportunity zone and I did that. So I didn't have to pay taxes. So they let me not pay taxes for seven years. And then at the end of the seven years, I get like 15% discount on what I got to pay. And if I hold it for 10 years, I can sell it and not pay any capital gains tax on it. So That's we'll, big. we'll, we'll hold it. So as I'm, as I'm getting closer and closer to that seven year mark, I'm working on my, my accountant. I'm saying, Hey, do I have enough depreciation to, to take care of that? So if we get to year number six and I don't have enough depreciation to do that, I will go buy something big enough and depreciate it off and and utilize something like that right there to make certain that it saves me three four hundred thousand dollars in taxes so it is something you got to pay attention to you can't lose sight of it because as land you know over the last several years is going up at 20 percent a, a year you know man that's a lot of money that's a lot of money if, if yeah. i was working for wall street making a million dollars a year or five million dollars a year i mean i would be trading that depreciation every time i turn around and and things like and do that. I mean, it's kind of like when you do a syndication. I'm I'm not a syndication guy, but I got a lot of friends that are. I mean, you'll have people that are investing in a syndication job, and they will trade people the cash flow for depreciation. They want their depreciation yeah. more than they want the cash flow. And some yep. people don't need the depreciation, so they're just trying to get more and more where they don't pay as much in taxes. Yeah, and it's usually the the more seasoned investors are looking for that depreciation rather than the cash flow. Because uh, they they have enough funds to um, to weather the storm of of not needing the cash flow, I guess you'll say yep. they're more stable, and that's not their main concern. Um, and I don't sell a lot of properties. We we sell very few properties. That's I just what it sounds built, like yeah yeah yeah. I just built two houses, and I and I traded the land from the city. The city had a piece of land. I had a piece of land in the city one, and I told them I would trade them the land for the two lots. And they give me a lot. We're in a nicer neighborhood where the houses need to be about a half a million dollars. And I'm not, I don't want to rent a half a million dollar house. I can't make my return. on So I built those two houses to sell, but that is a rare thing that we do to build them to sell. I like to stick with somewhere around a 1200 square foot, three bedroom, two bath house. They rent great. And you build a bigger house and, you know, there's the people that can afford a half a million dollar house is, is like this small compared to the people that can afford something that's 1,200 square foot. You know, they, the average renter, even if they can't afford it right now, the rent's going up and it's still what it is. And, yeah. you know, so they got to figure that out. Yeah. But the bigger houses are much harder to 
to keep rented in in poor economies. Yeah, and there was uh, I remember early on they talked about uh, the classes of property A, B, C, D, uh, and obviously the size. All of it matters in terms of what you're going for. So when you buy a property, knowing is this going to be an A class property where you can charge higher rents? Is it going to be a B where the rents are a little bit lower? And I cannot remember who said it, but they said in in a depression, everybody goes down a class. So A classes are down to mm-hmm. B's, B's go yep. down to C's. And for some reason in my mind, I was like, all right, I don't want A's. They yes, the cash flow and and all that's great. But if time is the first tough, one to I don't be want everybody vacant. First one to be vacant. So I'm I'm living in the B's and C's. Those are great. It's just like school, B's and C's. I mean, you can still you can build in a B class neighborhood and build an A class house and mm-hmm. still do great with that. I mean, yep. you know, and it, everything we look at everything as numbers. So the houses we build, most of the houses, twelve hundred square foot house that I'm telling you, I build. Um, we don't put flooring in any of them. I never put flooring in. I only put okay. concrete floors, and I stain the concrete floors, and the concrete floors look great. And I never have anybody complain about the way the conflict about the concrete floors, but they're easy to clean. You know, if people have a pet, I don't have to worry about their pet peeing on my floor and destroying my floor. And I got to deal with that right there. And we do that. It saves me $5 a square foot when I'm building, mm-hmm. you know, so you don't, you know, you don't have to pay for the, for the floor and for that thousand square foot. And, yep. you know, so it's little bitty things like that right there that you save the money on and it doesn't make it a bad rent. A rental. It doesn't make it a bad rental at all. Um, I would say that most of my tenants, after living in a house with just a concrete force, and and they're stained and they got a gloss finish. It looks like when you go to a shopping mall and they got yeah. the stained concrete. I mean, it's a beautiful yep. floor. And but that floor, if if they tear that floor up, I can buff that floor out with a buffer. I can put a seal coat on top of it. Cost me about three hundred bucks, and it's done. The whole entire house. Yep. So it's so it's easy. It makes sense. It makes sense to me. That's, yeah, the that's, what I'm looking for. I'm looking- that's the luxury of not having basements, right? I mean, that's that's different from up here. We have yeah, basements in absolutely. almost all the houses. So I don't think the but the I, choice- I was just saying I went to a RIA, like a real estate meetup group in Milwaukee. And this investor only did rental properties in Milwaukee. And he said every single floor in all of his units are epoxy flooring. So he puts that that colored, it's not the speckle, but he does like a yeah, you can do swirls and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, the marble looking yep. swirl. And he tiles halfway up the wall, every yeah. single property. And I was like, in the bedrooms? He said, in the bedrooms. Because it, yes, the tile is uh, a costly added, but it rarely ever gets damaged. He wipes everything down. He can clean the unit, and it's it's ready to go for the next one. But yeah, epoxy flooring, because it's very hard to damage, and tile, because it's very hard to damage. Yep. And that's, and that's where it know- goes. You just, you buy it with a plan in, in mind. You know, we just bought a, a house and I way overpaid for this house, but it, it's next to where I live. And I wanted, it was on 12 acres. I wanted the land. So I bought the house and I told my wife, we, we were talking about maybe just separating the house off and selling the house separate and keeping land. And I looked at it and the view is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful view. And I, I said, why don't we Airbnb the house? So we decided we would Airbnb it. Well, we figured we can make five to 7,000 a month Airbnb in the house. And that'll pay its way. So then we'll just pay pay its way on that right there. And then we'll make a decision on what we want to do with the rest of it in a couple of years. All I need it right now to do is pay its way. Once it's paying its way and we sit back and look at how things are progressing and what we're doing, 
you know, we had talked about maybe making it a wedding venue because of, of how the land lays and the view from the yeah. land. And if we did that right there, then I would come out and I would build some type of cabin around it, maybe 25 cabins. And we rent it out as a wedding venue and the people can yeah. rent the cabins at the same time. And as they rent the cabins, then they, um, nobody's drinking and driving. Everybody's a lot safer. It, it would make it a much better property. And then if there's not a wedding there, you say, you just Airbnb it. Cause it's only 15 miles from Nashville. Yeah. So it's easy enough to do. Yeah. Is that a plan that you guys are looking at? We, we already did it. I mean, Oh, okay. Cool. We did it. She's going live on the um, Airbnb, I think in two weeks. Nice. Awesome. Maybe so, that's where we'll stay. Yeah. You're welcome. Just call me and let me know you're coming. That'd be cool. But, um, no, y'all have... come up. I definitely want you to come. Just come spend three hours with me. Yeah, we're we're coming down for sure. Okay. Um, I didn't know that's where you were going to be at. I'm going to stop by. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely will. Uh, before I let you go, I did have one other question on, on financing. So you had mentioned earlier in the show that you buy all your properties in cash. Uh, and what was the reason that you bought them in cash? That's escaping me. I don't like banks. I, buy them, I, I would rather buy it in cash. And if it's something I need to do a rehab to, then I want to be able to do the rehab and then pull equity out. And I can pull equity out with the rehab in it. The new construction, you want to do it, or I do it because I don't want to be tied to the construction loan for a year. I want to be able to, if I want That's to pull equity out of can. Now we're only leveraged. We're leveraged around 22% of our portfolio right now. So we're not leveraged a lot. And, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a huge, I'm not against debt. I like good debt, but so far I really haven't had to, to branch out as much as I do. And I'm and in the same sense, I float everything that I'm doing right now. We got houses under construction right now. And we got land we're buying right now. And we got land we just bought. And we every bit of that floats through cash flow. So we make it all work on cash flow. So I, I keep that cash flow where it's moving enough money that if I need to come up with a couple hundred thousand in a couple of months, I can make I can make it happen just through my cash flow. Yeah. That was a Robert Kawasaki drop right there, the good debt. That's the first yeah. time I've ever heard someone say good debt was Robert. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, that's a big, it's a big difference between having a house debt and car debt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, um, who is the, the financial guru that 90% of people listen to? Uh, Ramsey. Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey. Yeah. He's always about getting rid of debt. And I look at people like, I, I can't, it's impossible. They could put like a little you, bit of debt on three different houses and make four times their money, five yeah. times their money. Yeah, I just, just I just or I differentiate between bad debt and good debt. You yeah. can't just debt as an umbrella. Uh, but going back to my question, so when you you started out, we have to go back to your early days. Were you still buying houses in cash and and doing that same system, or were you leaning on um, some sort of leverage there early on? I bought some houses early on. I paid cash, and then I pulled some equity out of them afterwards. And at that time I was pulling, I was pulling the equity out on a 10 year note. And, and so I had a little bit of Dave Ramsey mentality. I got to pay these houses off as fast as I can pay these houses off. I do it in 10 years. You know, they don't cash flow whatsoever. You're taking money out of your pocket every month. Yep. You pay the note, money out your pocket every month. And, you know, in the end, you know, I didn't understand that I needed that cash flow to invest in one. So I had a successful business. So if I needed more money, I just had the company pay me more money. And, and that just made it work. But when I sold my company, then I had to realize, man, I, I was getting about $50,000 a, a month from that company to help me make ends meet. 
And I needed to fix that problem right away because we had a brain hemorrhage in our finances that we needed to fix because yeah. we had so much, not so much debt, but all of our debt was on 10 year notes. So then we had to look at that right then and, and start making some changes on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know that jumping into real estate, it's obviously risky, but I've talked to some investors getting financing right away is, is tough. Like you have to convince a, a lending institution to trust you enough to lend you money on your properties. So you buy a property all in in cash. And this was our first couple, maybe two years of working. Um, I was trying to get financing and the bank says, no, we need more history. Even though every, every dollar amount and breakdown of the finances I gave them proved it was worth what it is. They were still hesitant. Were you getting any of that? Or is that like a recent? I I have never dealt with that. Now I can tell you right now, I don't do the, I don't do any of that on our, on our side. Now my wife does all of that right there, but I know now she's working with lenders now that they don't even need my personal information. They only want to work off of, I want to know what the house is bringing in and they will yeah. loan strictly off of what the, it's almost like a commercial loan. It is a commercial loan, yeah. but it's almost like the way, the way they would, analyze a apartment complex on a cap rate you know if it's making a certain cap rate then they'll they'll let you they'll loan you the money on it yeah but i um i never really had any any trouble with the bank and i don't really know why so we we bought this first neighborhood last year and then i went back to buy the second neighborhood and i went to my bank on that second neighborhood because obviously i didn't have money to pay for it but so i had my down payment and he called he calls me about two months before we were supposed to close a month and a half before we supposed to close he said, I got to have audited finances from you. I said, what? And I've never been asked for that before. Yeah. And um, he said, Winston, he said, nothing ever balances. He said, your, your balance sheet doesn't balance your income statement. It doesn't balance your profit and loss statement. He said, nothing works together. And I said, well, I don't understand that. So I went and talked to my wife. She said, we've been having that problem for years. She said, I don't know how to fix it. Our accountant don't know how to fix it. So our accountant does our books. And she don't, she don't know how to make our, our computer program match it. And uh, so we did the we did the, the audit the financial, but we went to a rent manager class like two weeks later. And rent manager university, we went to one of their, their their things that they did. That's the software we use to manage our our rentals. We do all our own we do in house property management on everything. So we went to one of their things, and there was somebody there that was a third party accounting company that worked with rent manager. And their sales pitch was, "You give us your stuff, and we." We'll make everything gel together and we will make certain that everything is seamless. And when you hand it to a bank, it's perfect. So we've been working with them since November. And the girl called my wife a couple of weeks ago and she said, everything is good. Everything is done. She said, the, he, she said, I wouldn't have given y'all a nickel with your previous finances, <laughs> nothing. She said, I don't know how people were loaning your money. She said, but the people that were loaning you money to buy houses at that time will probably loan you money to buy Nashville now. And it was, you know, they were, it was that bad. But, you know, somebody, I, I, I don't know, I stay in my lane most of the time. I'm, I'm on this right here. I hand it off to somebody else and I'll yell at my wife or I'll yell at somebody else. Y'all get to just, just fix it. I don't care what you do. Just fix it. Yeah, and they do it. They do it. Yeah. And those those cash flow loans up here, I've I've got them through uh, just normal mortgage brokers. Usually the banks and the credit unions don't do those. They stick to their their box lending. But the cash flow loans, um, obviously easier to get financing, but the interest rates tend to be a little bit higher. 
uh, on those are you, um, packages. Are, so are you are you getting locked? Are you doing variable rate? Or are you are you going into it and having your rate those locked are, in? Those are fixed. Thirty year fixed. Uh, yeah, but they don't. I mean, the one that I've done on that cash flow, they didn't lock you. I mean, I had it for I don't know eight months, and then went into a traditional. So we got to, so, I can get your, you can, I can get you to send me your information. I can have my wife reach out to you. Um, <coughs> excuse me. We just got a quote of five and a half percent on a 30 year really? loan on a four and a half million dollar loan. That's so, awesome. And that's and that how was recent. From, that was last week. That's awesome. <coughs> I mean, that's, that's from a guy out in, in single Florida. Family home yeah. Buyers are getting. And that's a, that's a Fannie Mae. It's Fannie Mae. Okay. Freddie Mac loan. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so if you like want that, some information, she'd be more happy to give it to you. That'd be great. Yeah, I'm, I'm always looking for more information. That's, that's, uh, I mean, numbers are, are important, and that's what we're trying to get drilled down. The building side, we got it. Now I have to get back into the books and know my numbers like you know your numbers. So next time we talk, I'll know how much Dan cost me per minute. That's what you got to figure out. <laughs> you know. This five-minute conversation just cost me 30 bucks. <laughs> you can't put a price on my value, though. Uh, I don't true. disagree with that. You know, <laughs> I don't disagree with that. The uh, cheapest that guy true. in the room is not always the best guy in the room. Mm -hmm. Right. No, that's true. Well, man, I know we've we've kept you for over an hour. We try to keep them to an hour. Um, I'm sure we could keep going for a couple more if we wanted to. But uh, we're going to try to end it there. Okay. Uh, I, I'd like to see if we can get you back on before I get down there in March. I'm definitely going to come see you, though. That's, that would okay. be an awesome, and I appreciate the invite. No, I'm looking forward to it. And, and I don't mind. I mean, I, we, this is what we do. I mean, this is what we do. So if y'all want to come down and hang out, come down and hang out. We'll, yeah. That'd be I, cool. I, yeah. I like your, I like mm. your mindset because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the significant other. Like, you got your wife helping you on your side. Um, dating gets hard because I'm married to work and that's yeah. what I always tell them. Like I'm married to work. I have my son. You're probably coming third, which is a huge red flag for women. And all you can be is straight thought. up about that right there. And I've, I've told, yeah. you know, even, even my wife now, she's my third wife, but even her, whenever we got married, I said, look, I said, if you're expecting me to put you before my job, it's not going to happen. You got to understand that right now. It's not going to happen. I'll be there. If you're sick, I'll be there. I'll lose everything I got at the hospital sitting there waiting for you to get better. I'll do that right there. But if you expect me to come home at four o'clock because you got dinner made, that's not going to happen. So marrying the right person is, it's hard, but I think it's well worth the wait if you got to wait for that person. Yeah. Somebody you gel with. Absolutely. Yeah. Keep waiting. Cool. They yeah. got some hate videos out there. I, don't, I got one trip. I bought a, I, I got one hate video and I get so, oh my word, I get, I haven't deleted any comments on anything, but oh my goodness, they they just hate me. I bought an old trailer. This lady had a trailer. I don't know if you saw the video or not, but she had a trailer she wanted for seven thousand dollars. She wanted to sell it, and I went and looked at the trailer and I looked at it. And I said, "Okay, it's worth seven thousand dollars. It needs a little bit of work. It needs an air conditioner. It needs this and needs that." And she said, "Well, it has to be moved. You can't leave it here at the trailer park." I said, "Oh." So I went and talked to the owner of the trailer park, and I said, "I need to talk to you about that trailer." He said. What about it? I said, I want to buy it. And I want to see about leaving it there. He said, no, he said, the trailer goes. I said, well, what can we work out that would help me be able to leave it there? He said, nothing. He said, that trailer has been trouble since day one. I said, well, the trailer ain't trouble. It's the person that's in the trailer yeah. that's in trouble. And yeah. he said, look, boy, 
And he's like, oh, guys, look, Mark. <laughs> he said, the trailer goes. I said, all right. So I went back and I talked to him. And I said, look, I said, I can't give you $7,000 for the trailer. I said, it's worth it. But I can't give it to you because I got to move it. And that's going to cost me $5,500. And by wow. the time I spend $5,500 to move it and to do the repair work, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I said, I'll give you $1,200. And she said, no, she said, I'm not, I'm not selling a trailer for $1,200. And I don't, I don't know. That's fine. I don't, but that's all I'm going to give you. And, um, then two days later, she called me up and she said, I'll take the $1,200. So I give her $1,200. She gives me the title, went and talked to the guy at the house and he still wouldn't talk to me. He said, the girl still lives there. And I ain't talking to you until she don't. So I had my guys grab one of my box trucks, go move her. So they moved her. And, um, then I went back and talked to him. And he said, you're not going to rent that trailer. I said, I don't want to rent the trailer. I want to sell the trailer on our terms. I want to, I want to fix the trailer up. I want to sell it on our terms. And somebody is going to live in it for six months or six years or five years. And I want to get paid for that right there. And then I'm going to give him the title or her the title. And it's going to be okay. And he agreed to it. I told him, I said, I will let you interview him. And if you don't like the person I'm looking at, then, then we don't use that person. So then I came to work. And I had a guy at work that was looking for a place to live. I said, I got this place. I said, it needs a little bit of work. I said, I haven't done any work to it. I said, if you want it, I'll rent it to you for $900 a month. I said, you can rent it for 60 months. And at the end of the 60 months, I'll give you the title. Damn. He said, I would own it. I said, yeah. He said, I would. He said, he said, I, and I told him, I said, I didn't pay hardly anything for the trail. I said, you know that. And he said, I'm never going to own anything. So if you're going to give me this trailer after 60 months, I mean, just paying you $900 a month. He said, I'm going to, I'll, I'll do that. So I sent him over to meet the old guy. The old guy agreed to it. And he lived there for about two years. And then his son caught the trailer on fire. So it needed about $4,000 worth of work. And he didn't have the $4,000. So I said, look, I said, I'll do the work for the trailer. I'll get it back where it needs to be, but you're going to need to pay me that $900 a month for another year. And he said, okay. So we did the work. We we tacked on another year. So he paid me that that for six years instead of five years. And then I signed the back of that title, handed him the title, and the trailer's his. But I got so much hate on that right on that that little video because they said you just ripped the lady off. I didn't rip the lady off. The trailer was if I had to move that trailer, and I didn't know whether the guy told me I was gonna move it. I'm lucky enough he didn't make me move it. But had me had him made had he made me move it then I would have had to find a place to move it to. I would have had to hire somebody to move it over there. I would have set it up. I would have had to redo the underpinning. I would have redo everything. Yeah. And so that's not that I ripped anybody off. It's just that, that that's how the cards play. And I am a real estate investor. I mean, that's what I do. I, I invest in real estate to make money. I don't invest in it to break even. You know, if yeah. I want to do philanthropy, I did not do that on a different area, not in my real estate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know. And that's but, the tough part about, about real estate. You're dealing with people, but it's a business. Yeah. And that's, that's something that when I, because we do our own management as well. And when I put tenants in, like, hey, you guys are great. I'm going to be friendly. I would hope you guys are friendly. But at the end of the day, we have to realize that this is a business and nothing I'm saying or doing is anything against you as people. It is just things that have to go on as business. No, we're getting absolutely trashed right now on social media, on one of our other sites, where one of these two neighborhoods we just bought. So both of the neighborhoods, the guy was... $500 plus under rent, market rent. And none, oh, of, his numbers, video. none of his numbers video. worked. None of his numbers worked. So when I, the, the second neighbor, nobody from the first neighborhood really complained too much. The second neighborhood 
we told everybody when we bought it, we said, we're going up on your rents for $500. We're going to give you six months before we do it. You got enough time to find another place if you need to find another place, but we can't cash flow this. At, at he was only charging like seven hundred a month. Some of some of his properties is at four hundred a month. Wow! So we were, we went up to twelve hundred dollars a month on everything, which market value in that neighborhood is fifteen hundred dollars a month. So I did I still didn't go up to market value. I just went up. I'm going up to twelve hundred because that'll put me in a place that I can cash flow. That'll put me in a place that I can do some deferred maintenance. That will it'll it. I ain't gonna take a. I guarantee you, I won't take a penny home on this neighborhood for the next three years. Everything's gonna go into it. And oh my word, you talk about trashes on that right there. Just greedy, greedy investment people, rich taking advantage of the poor. And you know, I'm getting my attorneys involved. I mean, you can get your attorneys involved, but we gotta be, we can't make money. We can't take care of the property if we don't yeah. go up on your rent. We can't. Yeah. And it's hard. They don't understand. It. And I and I feel I don't not have any feelings about it. I feel bad about it, but I don't know what there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I, if I don't do it, then I'm in the same place. The guy that I bought it from, you know, he broke yeah. and getting worse and worse and worse and worse every single year. Yeah. You know, and there's so going to be, there's going to be pain in, in uh, a turnover of management. Absolutely. I mean, you are basically, you're coming in the new property manager. This is how things are going. And unfortunately you're going to lose some tenants. It yeah. happens all the time, but it's, well, if they're paying $700 a month and you're raising it to $1,200 a month, if you lose one, if you lose one third of your tenants, you're still making more money than you was making with them there. Yep. And I'm, and I don't think I'm going to lose a third of the tenants because there isn't anything else. I mean, everything in a, everything in the area is renting for that or more. So it's not like they're going to go somewhere else. It's going to rent cheap. This that's what yeah. it is. I mean, and the other way to to spin it too is you've been fortunate enough to have it this low while the market was where it's at. And yeah. I'm not, I'm not, not defending it either way. Just objective devil's advocate here right how long have they been there at their rent at four or seven hundred dollars right and the they you could have been asking or whoever previously owner could have been asking for that twelve or fifteen hundred dollar amount so they've been getting by with that for a year or two whatever the the terms uh were but now that you have to adjust it to make it um i guess market value it's 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 hard to accept right but uh that that's part of yeah owning or, or not being able to acquire a property on your own unfortunately yeah and it, and it you know it really you got i gotta be able to fix it every house in the neighborhood needs a new air conditioner every house in the neighborhood needs a new roof i mean just the two things right there is over a million dollars you know you go in there and do that right there so you got all these repairs that you got to do and you know it and and a lot of there's a lot of interior stuff needs to be done it just needs to be fixed up yeah and you feel hopefully bad, they can see the like, benefit of of hey you're going to pay extra money for rent but you are going to see more benefits you're going to get your yeah. stuff working so, so the are, first neighborhood we bought we actually have people that are wanting to move into the houses it was four houses we need to rehab before we started or before we when we bought it so we rehab those neighbor those houses and we have people that want to move from their houses and pay more rent to live in the other houses that have been fixed up instead of staying where they are I was so just going to ask. They do this. see the value. They do see the value in it. Yeah. So this neighborhood, you said it was what forty? How many? One properties? of them is forty-one houses, and one of them is fifty-seven. And are they all single-family homes? Three bedroom, two bath, single-family with a one-car garage. So how does how does one get to the point where they can go and look at a, an area of the city or a county, or whatever? Is like, I want to buy that whole neighborhood. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't. 
I'm fresh so, to the. So the... remember, remember the, um, remember the apartment complex I told you I bought yeah. in rehab. Yeah. So when I bought that apartment complex, it was the absolute worst area in the whole entire city of South Pittsburgh. Okay. I mean, the police department. Whenever I rehabbed the thing, they was able to to reduce their police department by two cops that they didn't need anymore because they didn't have the crime that they had. Um, those apartments were renting for $305 to $335 a month. That's what they were renting. This is in 2019. Um, oh. When we bought it, I thought eviction on everybody in the apartment complex on day one. Every single tenant. The thing was, a it was a, it was a crab hole. It was dangerous. It was raw sewage underneath every single building. I mean, I couldn't, I can't do what I need to do with them living there. There's no way. And it took us, I think we gave everybody 90 days to move out. And as we did that, my wife and I was at that apartment complex every day. And I told her, I said, if somebody, there was drug dealers, there was four different drug dealers in there. And I told her, I said, if we don't get shot, we're going to be real lucky. And, and we went through that. And then, you know, after they moved out, we went in and rehabbed it and we brought the rents up to now they're 885 and 975. So that's where I was able to bring the rents up to. And that gave us the money to do the, the, the rehab and the people that live there love it. So my wife was, was over there not long ago and she went into one of the stores and one of the guys that we evicted that was, he was mad. He was ugly to her. He was mad. And he walked up to her and he said, you're Christina, right? And she said, yeah. He said, you threw me out of my home over there. And, um, off of Hamilton. And she said, yeah. She said, I know who you are. I remember you. He said, I want to thank you. He said, I didn't understand what type of a shithole I was living in. He said, I didn't understand how bad it was. I didn't understand how much better I could do than what I was. And there's so many people that y'all threw out of there that have that same exact mindset now that they realize that that neighborhood they were living in, that apartment complex that was in such bad shape, really was destroying everything about them. And some of those people moved to this neighborhood I bought. That's the neighborhood right behind it. And so one guy owned that whole neighborhood. And I went and visited with him and told him I wanted to buy that neighborhood from him. And he just said he didn't want to sell the neighborhood. And then when he got ready to sell it, he reached out to me and told me he wanted to sell it. So nice. I told him I would buy it. And then he had another neighborhood he wanted to sell. And that was the second neighborhood I, I bought. And now he's got a third one he wants to sell. And I'm going to buy it also. Interesting. So that's how that's how the neighborhood came came about. Now you got Wall Street out there building complete neighborhoods yeah. that they're holding yeah. for rental properties. Now they see the they see the value. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely something down the road. And when I get down to Nashville, you're gonna have to walk me through that one. But we've got a lot of vacant land up here. I've always had this idea of um I mean, they make tiny homes, but I don't know if I want to quite do tiny homes, but um a little subdivision of smaller units, like what you have single. I think it homes. would be awesome. Yeah. And there's just a lot more work. I mean, I've got a project out here that I have in cash. It's been rented for three years, still holding it in cash because once our guys are free, I'm splitting that lot and building two duplexes on it. And I don't want to go through the hassle of financing. And then I can't do Absolutely. the repairs I want while it's financed. So I have to sit with it in cash. But even that project is a little bit, labor intensive for me and the, the crew that we have. So the subdivision thing is like a, 
I don't, I don't want to call it a pipe dream, but it's so. So this guy built those subdivisions. He built about a dozen of them, and he built them all through USDA grant money. So he had very little bit of money in it. Really? Now he had the rule was, you got to hold it for 15 years as an income based property. Okay. So the one that we got, I got a, I, I bought it still under the the guidelines under USDA. So either I had to buy it away from the USDA to not do not use it as an income-based property. USDA has a cap of $1,200, $1,168 on the rent. That's their cap. So we're able to go up to that right there. And that's all, which is what we needed to go up to anyway. So it doesn't affect me. And they're forgiven $323,000 a year of the money I owe them. So in the end, there's going to be a million three of the value of this this neighborhood that I'm not going to pay because the USDA is forgiven it. So now they just forgave forgave three hundred twenty three thousand. I got three more years left on it from January to January to to pay to to get that forgiveness. And at the end of the three years, then it's mine. It's no longer it's no longer an income based property. I can do whatever I want to do with it. But even as an income based property, we have we don't allow anybody in with it. If you got under a six hundred thirty credit score, we don't rent to you. And I can hold that guideline on income base. You know, we still want people yeah. because somebody with a 300 credit score, they don't care. You know, they'll trash your property. What are you going to do? Mess their credit up? Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. You know, what does yeah. it really matter? I don't care. So, so those people don't care. 500 credit score don't care. So we, we go with 630 and we find out people with 630 want to build a house. They want to move. They want to do this. They want to do that. So they really are protective of their credit score. So you get a little bit different renters. Somebody just worried about that right there. And, we run, we run our property. We run them real tight. We, we don't allow drugs. We don't allow anything. I mean, it's, and, and it's one and done. I mean, if you get busted, if cops show up at your house and over something, you're not going to stay there. You're, you know, we got kids that are there. We're going to protect yeah. that right there. But the second neighborhood that I bought was in, two, it was built in 2006. So it doesn't have any government money tied to it. It's just how we can do whatever we want to do with it. But he never changed the rules. You know, he, he got to where, you know, after the 15 years was up, he didn't go up on the rent. He didn't change the clientele. He didn't do anything. He just kept on rolling. That's awesome, man. So, I have so anyway. much to read on. Yeah, it's it's that intriguing. Was, All of this is. <laughs> yeah, this was awesome. Uh, your story is awesome. What you're doing is awesome. So, all the the bad reviews you're getting on Instagram and <laughs> social media, I'm gonna I'm well, gonna quiet those a little bit. So, you know, the funny thing is, I've been in business in the city. For more than 30 years or in all of Nashville. You couldn't, you could not. You can't. I don't, I don't, I don't want to say good luck. You can't come to this city and find one person that I've that has ever worked for me that would have anything bad to say about me. And I've been through thousands of employees, at least a thousand employees over the 30 years of being in business. I never fired anybody, somebody, you know, they fired themselves. And and it was always communication and write-ups and hey, you need to understand you got to fix this right here. So nobody was ever mad at me about that right there. And nobody with the rentals have ever been re really mad at me. I mean, people, this one guy now is, but um I don't do things to, I don't hurt people. I don't go out to cheat people, I go out to try and help people. You know, we're not we're good. We're good people. We're good at what we do. We we really do, you know, I come from such a poor area, I come from such a poor family. I want to help people. I don't want to hurt people. I'm not out yeah. here trying to, to hurt yeah. them. And, and you read those comments and my wife told me, just quit reading the comments. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that's it's the thing. Like you, you, you can't, you can't, you can't take people's praise uh, or, or you can't uh, absorb too much of the praise. 
uh and then you same the flip side you can't listen to or read all the comments right because you know who you are the people that know you know who you are these are people sitting behind a keyboard just wanting something to complain about they'll move on and start complaining about the next thing and i'm sure if you could get into the micro of their social media history you could see that all they do is go hate on everything so like mm -hmm. you can't take, take can't take the highs ignore the lows stay in your lane and you know, kind of, kind of have blinders on and keep doing what you're doing. Cause obviously look where you're at now from where you started. So it's, it's awesome. Well, I yeah. appreciate y'all inviting me on the show. I appreciate y'all. Let me, let me tell a story and let me share. I need to practice of it for sure. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll reach out and talk to Marcus about when we can have you on again, maybe, you know, early, early March or late, late February in a few weeks here. Um, okay. I mean, we'll just see what what uh, timing. Normally, our our normal days, like I told you before, are Fridays where we record these. Um, so you know, we're happy to that we had the time to do it today. Obviously, very excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will. I'll edit this up and get it sent over to you. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, whether it's and you have all my social media information. I think Nick sent it to y'all. Um, yeah, I was on we'll it for just... like an hour, maybe three hours total this weekend. Just looking through your social media. Cool. And thank you so much. Uh, we'll be in touch for one, the show, and then when I get down to Nashville. All right, brother. Thank y'all right. so much. Y'all have a Talk great day. Pleasure thank you, much. Love you. Yes, you sir. You too. Bye-bye. Wow. I don't know.